this is a love story that happens right beside a big, large heap of corn. And so I don't know what could more specifically talk and speak directly to our place here in Nebraska than a love story that happens at the base of a heap of corn. And um, this is a, this is indeed a love story between Ruth and Boaz and how their relationship began and what is going on in the tapestry of what scholars call the re, uh, history of redemption is that literally eternal life is going to get birthed into the world through this relationship. And so we're actually just going to read down through verse 13 in Ruth 3, um, and we'll pick up 14 uh, into chapter 4 next week. But this is, this is God's word to you today. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, and she's talking to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young men you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went, to, she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence. And what we're simply doing is just asking God uh, with each other that he would make himself known. Uh, by His Spirit. And so that's what the Spirit, the Spirit's uh, role within the Trinity is to illumine Christ, and where Christ is found uh, is, is in His Word. And so um, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have existed in love from all eternity. And out of that love, you created the world and you created us. And the things that last, the things that are eternal, um, come from you. And so as there are many things that tend to distract us from you, that tend to distract us from what you're doing in the world through your kingdom, that tend to distract us 
to disbelieve the gospel. We ask that those things would fall away right now and that you would teach us what it means to extend and receive redemption. Lord, would you show us what it means that all that has been done to us or that we've done to others has been fully paid for in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that through his death and resurrection, we really do get to tap into eternal life right now. And so, would you, by your Spirit, uh, give us eyes to see what's actually happening right now? In Christ's name, amen. Uh, In my previous call, I got a chance to work a lot with college students, and in that stage of life, as many of you know, there's a lot of falling in love and falling out of love, falling in relationship, falling out of relationship, and one of the, very early on in my ministry there, one of my favorite stories was a student was dating, he was dating a girl, and she started seeing somebody else, and it was, it was really tearing him up, and he ends up driving through the night, um, and he shows up at the doorstep where she is, and he asks her to come out, and he, and he says very boldly, he says, look, you can either, you can either come with me or you can stay with him, but now's the time to decide. And so make, make your decision. And uh, she, she ended up coming, coming with him, and he, he got tacos with me the next day, um, which is what you do in Texas. You eat tacos. And he said, he's like, um, Matt, we're going to get married. I was like, dude, that, that is so intense. Like, he told me the story. He's like, now we're going to get married. And now they have a lot of children. Um, and what I learned uh, very early on in, in ministry within the context of, of any sphere within ministry is, that, and I love this, uh, it's that God, God lo- lo- likes to work through love stories. He really does. Um, he loves when uh, there's a lot of risk on the line, and that's what this story is about. Uh, this, is a, this is a love story, but it's really a story about the gospel. And we're going to take a look at how each character within this uh, story takes a lot of risk, puts, them, puts themselves in very vulnerable places. Uh, and we're going to look at that under two, two headings. Love is bold and, and love is costly. So I want you to look at Naomi's plan in verses 1 through 4. So remember the context here. They're in a uh, bad situation. Naomi and Ruth, they're trying to survive uh, because they have no way to provide for themselves. They have no way to to eat. And they have this sort of hope of a chance with this guy named Boaz. Ruth goes to his field and Boaz uh, shows Ruth some kindness. And so Naomi comes up with this very elaborate plan and she says, all right, uh, this man has shown you some mercy and, is, and has shown you kindness. I'm looking, out, I'm looking out for your rest, Ruth. And what that means is peace in her life and peace in Naomi's life. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to, after they have finished their day, go to the threshing floor, which is where they did all their harvesting. And after Boaz has uh, eaten and drunk... I want you to uh, anoint yourself, make sure you smell good, put on your garment, and after he goes to sleep, I want you to lay down at his feet. Uh, Quite a plan, right? 
Um, and at first glance, it looks like that's just putting Ruth in a very, very vulnerable situation. All the risk is going on to Ruth. But in essence, Naomi, Naomi's survival is tied to whether Ruth can survive this world as well. And so this is uh, Naomi's elaborate plan. And then she says, and uh, Mary Kay mentioned this, we were talking about this, this this week. She says, he will tell you what to do. Um, which we don't know really what that means, if she got a word from the Lord or something, but um, it actually turned out to be true. But what, what we do know is that in verse 5, Ruth immediately obeys. So like there's all this dialogue with Naomi, with all this plan, and then Ruth just says in four words in Hebrew, I'll, I'll go do it. And so she does. In verse uh, 6 through 8, she does exactly as she's uh, commanded or told by Naomi. So she goes in and and lays down at Boaz's feet. And then in verse uh, 9, you know, Boaz Boaz wakes up and he's like, oh my gosh, uh, what (laughs) what are you doing down at my feet? And I just want to like pause there and just think about this is the way in which uh, love actually um, gets lived out on the ground level. And for, for Ruth, this is crazy, crazy risky. I mean, Boaz could have taken advantage of her. Uh, most commentators said that he definitely would have thought, like most men would have thought, like this is way, way too forward in this culture for a woman to be doing this. And in verse 9, when she says, uh, let, me just, let me just read it again. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Um, What she's doing right there is that she is asking Boaz, hey, uh, marry me. Which did not happen in that culture. Women did not uh, do that with, with men, and she is being super, super forward. Um, very against traditional norms, very against traditional rules. And what this is showing us is that this is what, you know, we've been talking about this particular kind of love called hesed love, steadfast love. And it's where you put yourself out there at the expense of your own well-being and you make yourself very vulnerable for the sake of the other. That's what Ruth is doing for Naomi and how she's engaging with Boaz. And what begins to happen in this story is that this is the turn where everything begins to click into place and fall into place and how redemption is going to happen in all three of their lives. Um, you know, I, uh, I have, as I've meditated on this passage this week, one of the things that... Uh, that I began to think about as I think about y'all's life, as I think about my own. Um, let's say you're in, a, you're in a situation, a hard situation, where you, you know that you're like somebody that you love needs to change. You know, whether that's your spouse. Maybe you have a spouse and it's not just that you want them to change for you, but they need help. Like they're not in a good place and you know that they need help and you're in a position where you don't know what to do. You may be in a place where you love somebody, 
and you don't know if they love you back, and that, that's a risky place to be, and you don't know how to engage that person. Um, you may be a parent, and your child has lost all respect for you, and you don't know how to engage them. And part of what Hesed love does, and part of the, the, how bold love is that God wants us to express, is that in the midst of that, we are to move towards that other human being, not making demands of them, not demanding that they change for our sake, but we are to move towards them so that they know that we're there and we are ready to show love that's bold at the cost of our own expense. When I was in Utah back in March, I saw one of the most sad and hopeful things I've observed in a long time. I was sitting in this cafe by myself and I saw a, a mother and a daughter sitting right next to me. And the daughter was like, had like tons of piercings, a lot of chains, super tatted up. And she was just on her phone the whole time. And the mother was just sitting across the table from her, just wanting some sort of a connection. Just longing to, for like some sort of eye contact. And ready if that ever was to take place. And I think part of what this story teaches us is that whatever sits across the table from you in your life right now, that hesed love means that you're attentive and ready to take action like Naomi took when she saw a window open for God to be at work in her life. And she moved towards, she moved towards it. And it was super risky. And part of what Boaz does in response to that is that he steps into this place where love is extremely, extremely costly for him. And uh, you, you see kind of what he embodies, and it's kind of hard to miss because it, it's repeated five times in verses 9 through 13. What he's doing is that he's, he's becoming a redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. He's becoming a redeemer. Now, that's the, name, that's the name of our church. What does it mean uh, to redeem something? It means to buy, to buy something. Um, Redeemer is uh, part of what infiltrates the, the DNA of this church. It's done that from the beginning and will continue to do that throughout the course of the future of this church. But we, we've said constantly here that our community is continually and constantly being changed by the gospel. And the, the way that gets meted out in our, in our life is through the giving and receiving of redemption. So in verse 10 and 11, Boaz puts himself, I mean, he's, he's clearly in a vulnerable position too because he says to uh, Ruth, like, you could have gone after all these young men and I'm old. Most, most commentators think he's about the age of, of Naomi and, uh, in this story. And then he says, Ruth, you are a worthy woman because you haven't gone after any, any of these young men. And that's an allusion to Proverbs 31 and the wise woman. But in verse 12, it says, it, it's true. I am a redeemer, but there is a redeemer that's closer than I. Now, what's he talking about? In the Old Testament, if, let's say, your husband died, in Deuteronomy 25, it says that the husband 
the husband's brother had a responsibility to take you under his household and provide for you, provide children so that you could survive. And if your husband didn't have a brother, then it went to the next male in the family, whether that's a cousin or an uncle. And that was a very, very costly thing to do for that particular man because it meant you had to provide not just for one family, but, but two families. And so what's, what's happening right here is that Boaz is saying, I actually am a redeemer and I will take you underneath my household. But the, the whole premise of this is that we have debt and just like Ruth and Naomi, and they need somebody to come in and, and pay that debt. So I want us to think about this for... Uh, for a minute, um, and meditate on this for a while, as we um, as we think about this text. I was trying to think about how to how to actually communicate what a redeemer is in our particular day, and I think the best way to say it is that a, a redeemer is an underwriter of the debt that we accrue, and that is the heart of this church and the vision of this church. So let me, let me explain that for a second. Um, we, all, we all accrue debt in our life. Now, sometimes that's literal debt, but oftentimes it comes out in all sorts of ways that kind of sound like this. Um, I never thought I was smart enough. I never felt pretty enough. Um, I grew up poor, and I decided at a very young age that I'm never going to allow my family to face that level of poverty. It could be that your debt is that you've harmed someone, and you, you have no way to repay it. You have no way to re- repair it. It could be that you actually have committed a crime and you need to get out from under the thing that you've done. And what, what Christianity is about, guys, and I, I know this is like so, so very like simple, but it kind of comes down to this, that you have all this debt and along comes God in your life. And what he says to you is that I would like to take care of that. I would like to pay that debt. I would like to underwrite that debt for you. And now this is the place where you have to pay very, very careful attention, whether you're young or you're old, and this is how the gospel is constantly changing us. How you answer God's invitation to that will shape your entire life. If you will not let him pay your debt, you will have to pay it yourself through working hard or you will make others pay. Whether it's debt that has been accrued on you by the ways in which people have harmed you or by the ways in which you have failed, we all have that wage that we walk into this life with and it will guide and shape you if you don't let God redeem it. If you don't let God pay it. And that's what this church is about. This church is about, okay, 
if God has paid my debt, if he actually is my redeemer, how does that change my life? How is it constantly changing my life? Eternal life, what happens when you know that God has paid your debt is that you begin to be transformed because that's what being redeemed does to you. That's how transformation takes place in our life. When you feel in a very real sense that somebody has underwritten your life, it transforms everything. And eternal life gets uh, sort of poured out into this world when you extend and receive that level uh, of redemption. And so that's why I love thinking about Pentecost because when God pours himself out into the world, it's like all of that stuff that you accrue in this life, all the things that you've done wrong, all the wrong things that have been done to you, it's, it's like in you and around you. And what God says is that that's actually not true anymore. What's in you and around you is the gospel. And, and when, when you let that pour over you and into you, what gets, what gets meted out through your very life is, is eternal. So that when you interact with somebody and they hurt you and you say, hey, I'm not going to make you pay for that. That's the stuff that will last forever. Whereas if somebody hurts you and you say, I'm going to hold a grudge, that's the stuff that's going to go away like chaff in the wind. And you guys, everybody in this room has been hurt. And we either, what we tend to do is that we either take that hurt out on ourselves and we beat ourselves up in all sorts of ways, and, and that can look a million different ways, or we turn it outwards and then we beat others up. And, and what Boaz does with Ruth, he's like, look, let me, let me take care of this for you. And that's what God does. That's what God does in the person of work of Jesus, that he is, Jesus Christ, is the free gift of God through which we experience change and redemption. Look, I, I think that um, most of life, you know, this is about a real-life situation. Monday through Saturday, that's, that's where the gospel gets lived out mostly, is Monday through Saturday. And what Naomi has shown us is that this is the ingenuity it takes to survive in this world. Life has dealt her a hand that, like, she didn't want to play. And she's bitter. And she gets this window of like, oh my gosh, maybe God is still at work in my life. And then she puts a plan into action. And what I want you to see is that that is of faith. That is the gospel at work in action in somebody's life. And it is super, super risky. Um, it's the difference between, you know, if we just think that like Christianity is about like being nice and like moving through the world without, you know, getting too dirty. <laughs> um, it's the difference between, like, if you go out to dinner with me and you pay my tab, I'm like, man, that's, that's really nice. But if you were to, like, pay my mortgage, the whole thing, if you were to go to, like, Lincoln Federal and pay my mortgage, like, that's what redemption feels like. And so that if you have a God that literally has underwritten your entire life, you can take a risk. You have a God that actually has given you ownership of all the houses. 
the house is on a thousand hills. And so when you mess up in this life, you're not super dejected because you have been underwritten. When the bottom falls out in your life, you actually believe, okay, this, it's been hard, but there's better things coming for me in the future because God has underwritten you because he is a redeemer. Now, um, when, I, when I proposed to my wife, Sarah, I really thought it was like a 50-50 chance, like a, like a, like a coin toss. And when I tell her that, like, she, she thinks that that's ridiculous, but that was the reality in my mind. And if I could go back and tell myself, I'm 38 now, I was 23 then, I think. If I could go back and tell myself, like, hey, man, it's like, it's going to be okay. Like, even if, even if she says no, like, it'll, it'll work out. And, and I said, my 23-year-old self said, like, well, how do you know? I would say, because I'm the future, dude. Like, like I know because I am you. Um, and that's what it's like to, to know God. It's like what, whatever you are afraid of right now, whatever sits across the table from you right now, your future is more bright than you can possibly imagine because you have a Redeemer, because your Maker is your husband. Now, here's what I want us to think about as we, uh, as we close. What is the debt that you are dealing with right now? I was having a conversation with somebody a while back, and they were in the middle of their career, and he just said this simple phrase. He's like, I realized, I realized that I had been in competition with my brother my whole life. And when I realized that, I stopped, and it changed the trajectory. That's what I mean by debt. What is the debt that you carry right now? Now, if that was actually paid in full, if you didn't have to worry about it ever again, how would that change how you live? How would that change the trajectory of how you move into the future? And here's the, the beautiful part about the gospel <laughs> is that, uh, you know, the gospel says, look, even if you miss out on an opportunity, if you're not in that friend group that you want to be in, if you, if you have some health issue that's just like terrible, um, if you miss out on something more simple, like you just wanted a peaceful night with the family and you, and you missed out, the gospel says, just wait. It will totally be restored if you wait and you hold your heart open. To the hope of God. Ruth and Boaz show us what it's like to be transformed in their actual lives Monday through Saturday. And just like them, when we embody the gospel in this way, we become conduits of redemption. We spread the gospel everywhere we go. But if we don't, you guys, what, what, what happens is that we'll be paralyzed to make a step and to move. And that is an endless road that leads to misery and to nothingness if you don't extend and receive redemption. But through the gospel, we don't have to live like that. You can take a risk. You can take a risk and give ourselves away, and in so doing, we will have rest 
because God is our ultimate redeemer. That's what uh, this story is showing us, that each character, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, all put themselves in extremely risky and vulnerable situations for the, for the expense or the sake of the other at, the, at their own expense, and eternal life gets birthed into the world. So next week, we will uh, move into chapter 4, and um, let's pray, and we will confess sin and receive assurance of forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you are our Redeemer. And we ask, Lord, that as we confess sin and come to this table, that we would experience your grace again, that we experience the Holy Spirit coming down onto us and coming into our lives. In Christ's name, amen.